0: Okay, let's gather back together. Open up your Bibles, my friends, to Colossians chapter 3. Our text this morning is Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. And as we gather this morning, let's go ahead and, and ask God's blessings. Oh, Father, we just come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one we want to honor today, the one who is our Savior and Lord, the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. And so, Lord, we pray that the word today would honor him and it would exhort us that we might be more heavenly minded, that we might seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us in this regard because we're all too apt to get trapped into earthly thinking. And we want to be delivered. We want to be heavenly-minded. So we pray for your grace and help today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Christ is risen. And this, of all the days of the year, is the one day that we especially remember that and especially celebrate the fact that our Savior is risen from the dead. And if Christ is risen, then there are some very powerful implications for how we are to live our Christian life. Jerome and I are going to team up today. We're going to do some team teaching. I'm going to start off and then he's going to follow me. And my job is to teach you, and it's his job basically to exhort you. So what I want to do is bring the doctrinal portion of this text, and Jerome's going to bring the practical portion of the text. I'm gonna give you the theology and he's gonna give you the application. I wanna share with you what is true about you in Christ and then Jerome is going to exhort you to action based on what is true about you in Christ. So in baseball there's always a leadoff hitter. I don't know if you follow baseball but when I was a kid I loved baseball. I played little league five years and sometimes I was the leadoff hitter and it's his job to get on base. He has to have a high on-base percentage. One of the best leadoff hitters in the history of baseball was Pete Rose. He had the most hits of anybody ever. He was a great leadoff hitter because he could get walks, he could get singles. Usually, leadoff hitters are not your your big crunchers that get the home runs, but they're able to spray. You know, here right field, left field, they can get on base. So. I want to get on base and Jerome's going to hit me in. Okay? He's he's the cleanup hitter today. He's like the Willie Mays or the Hank Aaron that hits it out of the park. (laughs) No pressure, brother. (laughs) But so we want to work together to help you first to understand and then to apply the truth about who you are in Jesus Christ. Because Christ is risen, the truth of the Bible is, so are you. If you are a true believer in him. Now that's where the, the only condition lies there. Are you a true believer in Jesus Christ or not? If you are, then you are risen with him. You share his resurrection life. And that's what we're going to see in our text today. There's two. It's like we're walking down a path and there's a ditch on both sides. And you can fall into that ditch in two different ways. You can fall over on this side by understanding the truth of something but not applying it. You can fall into the ditch that way. But can you fall into the ditch the other way by trying to apply something without understanding the truth? You need truth and application. You need knowledge and practice. And so they go together like a hand in a glove. And that's what we were gonna seek to bring to you today. Knowledge and application. So, our text is Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. My responsibility is to focus on two short sections of that, those three verses. My responsibility is to focus on this part. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and then verse three, for you have died. Just those two short sections. You have died. You have been raised up with Christ. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's describing the believer's union with, a vital living union with Jesus Christ. The big truth here is because we have been united to Christ, we share his death and his resurrection. That's the big overarching truth that we find in these three verses. Now, why does Paul begin with the word therefore? Notice that in verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and by the way, Notice the little word if. You see it there? If you have been raised up with Christ. You might get the wrong impression. You might think that there's a note of uncertainty here. That a true believer might be raised up with Christ or might not be raised up with Christ, right? The little word if sometimes denotes that. But that's not what Paul is trying to get across. In fact, most of the newer translations don't translate this as if. They translate it as since. Therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, this is how you are to live out the Christian life. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. So there's no uncertainty here. If, you are a, uh, if you've been united to Jesus Christ through faith in him, you have been raised up with Christ. So, let's go back. Why does he begin with the word, therefore? The word therefore implies that he's bringing a conclusion based on previous information that he's already given them, right? He's been telling you something, and then he says, therefore, he's coming to a conclusion. This is what I want you to know or to do based on what I've already told you. Well, what has he already told us? Let's go back to chapter 2 and get at least a portion of the context of chapter 2. And I'm going to break right into the middle of a sentence in verse 12. Paul says in Colossians two twelve, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So here back in chapter two, Paul sets the tone for what he's going to say later in chapter three he mentions here in chapter 2 that when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. You see that? Verse 13. And in verse 12, he says that we were raised up with him. That's very that's key there. With him. You weren't raised apart from Christ. You were raised with Christ through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So verse 12 and 13 speak about the fact that Christ was raised Raised and the believer who is in Christ was raised with Christ when he was raised. Then, if you go down to verse 20 and verse 21, Paul says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Here again, he says, if you have died, meaning since you have died. Paul takes for granted that they understand that they have died with Christ and they've been raised with Christ. Christ died to the elementary principles of the world. He exited the world and believers were in Christ when he died. So we also have died to the elementary principles of the world. When Christ died, he died to the law. Law is no longer binding on him in his resurrection life. That was only something that he was under while he was on the earth, seeking to obey his father perfectly. But when he died and rose, he's out from underneath any jurisdiction of the law. Believers too, in him, died to the law. And we have this newness of life that we share, his life. So that's why Paul, when he comes to chapter 3, says, Therefore, I've already told you that you died with Christ, I already told you that you've been risen with Christ. Because of that, let me tell you what you should do in terms of living out the Christian life. And that's what this passage is about. Now, what does it mean that we have died and risen with Christ? I mean, that's a hard concept for us to understand. Because you say, wait a minute. How did I die with Christ? Christ died 2,000 years ago before I was even born. How did I die with Him? How how did I rise with him? I wasn't even alive. I didn't even exist yet. How could I have risen with Christ when he rose from the dead? Well, the first thing I want you to know is this is not some isolated verse. There are many verses in the New Testament that teach this very same truth. And I want to just go through a couple of them with you. I quoted one earlier in our worship service. It's Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There it is. I have been crucified with Christ. We also have Romans 6.6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. I have been crucified with at the same time (laughs) as Christ was crucified. So it's not an isolated text. We're not pulling one text out of the whole Bible and saying, no, this is something that Paul tells us over and over in the New Testament. Okay, so what does it mean that we died with Christ? What does it mean that we rose with Christ? Let's say you're a branch on a tree and someone snips you off and then they take you and they graft you into another tree. And, you know, when you first got snipped, that hurt. That hurt. That was painful, but now that you've been grafted into this new tree, you've healed up and you kind of like hanging around in this new tree and things are going good and you start to bear some leaves on this new branch. And then all of a sudden, one day, some guy walks along and he notices the tree and he looks real carefully and he notices something on the trunk of that tree. It's something that's been carved into the trunk. It says, George loves Martha and lo and behold somebody figures out that George Washington wrote a love note to his wife in the trunk of that tree. And all of a sudden now, this tree is a national monument. People stream from all over the country to see the tree where George loves Martha is in that trunk. Now here you are, you're part of that tree, and you're enjoying all the people milling out underneath you, but you had nothing to do with it. You weren't You didn't even exist. You weren't part of that tree when the names were carved there. But yet, now that you have been grafted into that tree, the history of the tree becomes your history. Do you see that? And so now, people are milling around you and they're looking at you and they're gazing up at you because you were grafted into a tree that has a different history than your own. Well, let's change it up a little bit. Let's say that... Prior to you being engrafted onto that tree, a surveyor came by and he put a big red X on the trunk of that tree. That means cut it down, right? And after he put that red X, somebody snipped you off and grafted you into that tree. And all of a sudden, you're being chopped down along with the whole rest of the tree. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I wasn't even a part of this tree until after they put the red X on the trunk. I shouldn't be chopped down. Well, tough luck <laughs> because you're part of the tree now. And the history of that tree now is your history. Whether or not you were grafted in before or after, it doesn't matter. Now you share the same history with that tree. Let's change it up even a little bit more. Let's say you lost your thumb in a freak accident. Okay, my thumb's gone. And I'm rushed to the hospital and the doctor says, Boy, that's, that's bad luck. I'm sorry to hear that, son. You've lost your thumb. But you're, this is your lucky day because somebody just came in and donated a thumb. And you can have his thumb. And so they sew somebody else's thumb onto my hand here. And now, all of a sudden, now I've got another thumb. But now see, I've, I've had the chicken pox before. But the guy who had the thumb that gave it to me, he never had the chicken pox. So does my right thumb have to worry about getting the chicken pox? no because he shares my history I have already had the chicken box I can't get the chicken box so now my thumb can't get the chicken box because it's been united to me it shares my history and what I'm trying to express to you is when you are in Christ you share his history not yours everything's changed now you share Christ's history when Christ died you died when Christ was buried you were buried When Christ rose, you rose. When Christ ascended, you ascended. And when Christ sat down at the right hand of God, the Bible says we are seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places in Christ right now. That's our history because we are in the Son. So that's what we mean when we talk about the fact that we have died. When Christ died, I died because I'm in him and I share his history. It's applied to me and it's applied to you. Now you say, I, I still, I'm still struggling, Brian. I'm still having a problem with that because, wait a minute, Christ died 2,000 years ago. I'm alive today. How, how can I possibly share his history? Well, think about it this way. Romans chapter 5 says that we sinned when Adam sinned. Now, I wasn't alive when Adam sinned, but God puts his sin to my account. He says that Adam stood as a representative of the entire human race. So that everybody who is in Adam receives what Adam did. Right? So I receive his sin. That's what we mean by original sin. I'm born with that. Put to my account. It's exactly the same way with Jesus Christ. there's, There's only two men that God looks down on. And in a sense, there are two individuals. Adam, the first Adam, and the last Adam. Adam and Christ. Either you are in Adam through physical birth or you are in Christ through spiritual birth. You're lined up under one of these two individuals today. Either Adam is your representative head or Jesus Christ is your representative head. And if you are in Adam, then what Adam did is put to your account. What did he do? He disobeyed. He sinned. He earned for you condemnation what did christ do he obeyed he achieved righteousness and if you are in christ that obedience and that righteousness is put to your account and you receive eternal life because that's what jesus earned only two people they existed thousands of years ago but their history is put to you the only question is are you in adam or in christ today the only real question We are in Adam through physical birth. We're born in Adam. But we can be transferred to be in Christ through spiritual birth, through the new birth. Now, there's one verse more that I want to share with you before we move on, and that's Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. Paul here is talking about being under the law. And I'm just going to pick it up in verse 4. Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. This is so powerful. <laughs> Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of christ when jesus's body hung on that tree all those who would ever believe upon him also hung on that tree with him they were in him when he spread out his hand and died on that cross they were crucified with him and because we are in him we died and just as he exited the realm of the law so the believer has exited the realm of the law We live under grace. That's what he says in chapter 6, verse 14. We're not under law, we're under grace. There's a new principle of life. It's not like we are trying, trying, trying to obey the law and never can do it. No, that's the old man in Adam. He was doing that. We are a new man in under grace, in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole new dimension of life that the believer has received that's different from the life he received in Adam. So, Let's get back to our text. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. And here's the great part. So that you might be joined to another. So that you might... We didn't just die and that was the end of things. We died and we were joined to someone else. Now, who were we joined to? Jesus Christ. To him who was raised from the dead. And do you know what the purpose of being joined to the risen Lord is? says right here in order that we might bear fruit for god now if a woman come up to you and says i'm gonna have a baby we get all happy and excited for her and we say well what does your husband think about this oh i don't have a husband oh really okay well what about your boyfriend i don't have a boyfriend what do you mean well i'm just gonna have a baby we say you're crazy have you have you been intimate with a man? No, I've never been intimate with a man, but I'm gonna have a baby. We say well that's not possible. And it's not possible if you're an Adam to bear fruit for God. You have to be joined to another, to him who is raised from the dead. It's only through the power of Christ that you and I can bear fruit for God we can't bear spiritual children we can't bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit we can't have his love joy peace patience kindness and all of the rest we can't live a supernatural life unless the supernatural one is living through us and that's what Paul is saying here the essence of the Christian life is not that you and I decide I'm just going to turn over a new leaf today I'm going to become a Christian I'm going I'm to live my life different I'm not going to steal anymore I'm not going to lie. I'm going to quit swearing. I'm giving up my drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. I'm not doing any of that anymore. I'm not going to sleep around. And I'm going to start going to church. Now, does that what it mean? (laughs) What would you say? Good luck? (laughs) But even if somebody could do all of that, would that make them a Christian? No. 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 becoming a Christian, we have to understand, is a supernatural thing. It's a, really a miraculous thing because it's the Holy Spirit taking you and joining you in a vital union to Jesus Christ. So now the life of a risen Lord and Savior is now pulsing through you. Um, his life becomes your life. You have died to the old man that you once were in Adam. You've been chopped off of the tree of Adam and you've been grafted into the tree of Christ. And now you're a new person because you have a new union, a new power source, a new Lord. Every, that's why he says, if you, any man is in Christ, the old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. You see, when we're in Adam, we're, we live one way. We're under the dominion of sin. But when you're chopped off of that old tree of Adam and planted in the tree of Christ, you're not under the dominion of sin anymore. And you're not under the dominion of the law. You're under the dominion of Jesus Christ, your Lord. So I just want you to understand how great and beautiful a thing it is if you are a Christian today, what God has done for you. It's not something that you just decided to do on your own. It's something God did for you. So that's what our position is in Jesus Christ. You died to sin, you died to the old life, and you have been risen with Jesus Christ and you've inherited a newness of life. Now Jerome is going to help us understand how to live out that new life. Amen. Amen.
1: So just reading the verse again, the Apostle Paul said here in chapter three, verse one, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And here's a part I love. He says, set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. As Pastor Brian was saying, Paul is he's making this this assumption or he's taking it for granted that the believers understand this. And, and when I read it too, when, I, when I'm reading this text, I'm saying at first glance, yes, that's a That's a no brainer. Of course, you should keep your mind focused on the things above. Right. Of course, you should keep your your affections focused on heaven. It's It's a no brainer. You should be doing this because Christ has done such a great thing for you. Yes, I should be doing this. Yes, my history is now crisis history. So it should be a no brainer that my affections, that my thoughts, that all of me would be focused on things above and things in heaven. It's kind of like when you when you see, have you, have you seen a person when they were dating someone? And, and you've seen that a that woman who can't stand sports, she can't stand sports, but because this guy that she's dating or because this person that she likes likes sports, she wants to go and watch the game now. Why? Because she likes this person and she just wants to be where they are. Or if you've been to the mall before and you've seen that person, that, that guy, he's walking in the mall and he has all of these girly bags with him. He's been into Victoria's Secret and and, and the place with all the smell good stuff, uh, but. Ba- Bed, Bath, Bed, what is it? Bed, Bath and Beyond. beyond. No, I'm thinking about Bed, Bath Body Works or something like that. And you you see him that little little pink bag, right? It has all the little freckles on there and and he's carrying it and he's just following his girlfriend and, and he can't stand shopping. He can't stand to go into these little girly stores, but because he is in love with this girl, because he so likes her, he wants to be wherever she is. And so the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing here, that since you have been raised with Christ, your hopes and your affection should be where he is. It should be where he is sitting right now at the right hand of the Father. That is where your mind should be. It should be right there. See, the, these Colossians right here, they started out on fire for Jesus. You got to understand this. They, have, they started out on fire for Jesus. They were in love with Jesus. As you look at chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 5, I'm going to show you this. In chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, look what Paul says this. He says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love for which you have for all the saints. Look at verse 5. Because of the hope, look, laid up for you where? In heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So they heard this gospel, and because of this gospel, they believed, and now they had this hope in Christ. Their hope was in heaven. They were on fire. They, they loved the brothers and sisters in Christ, the scripture is showing us. So, so they had this love in them, but something happened. Something happened in between what Paul is talking about here and in chapter three. Something happened where the trajectory of their mind went from things above, went from this hope that they had in Christ and this coming glory. Something happened where it went from up there to now to things of the earth. Something happened there. And what we find is, is that that's something that happened was that they began to entertain new teaching that contradicted the gospel. And you find that new teaching that they was being taught the bulk of it in chapter 2, verse 16 through 20. What you have here is you had these false teachers coming up into the church and basically teaching the body of Christ that Christ was not sufficient, that he wasn't sufficient for salvation, that Christ wasn't sufficient for sanctification, that Christ wasn't sufficient for glorification. And in order to get all of those things, you needed to do these other works, these other acts like You can't eat certain foods and you can't drink certain drinks or you had to observe certain days or you couldn't handle, taste or touch certain things or that you had to deprive your body of all pleasures and live live this ascetic life. See, they were trying to say that there was another way of salvation, that there was these other things that you needed to do in order to have this hope. And church, I want to tell you this. Any religious system that teaches Jesus plus something else is false. Any religious system that says you need Jesus and this, you need Jesus and works, you need Jesus and you got to act a certain thing. No, it's, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But they were trying to come into the church and tell them, no, you needed to do all of these things. And See, now it's easy for us to look at the church here in Colossians, the the Colossians. It's easy for us to look and say, how could you take your mind off the heavenly things? How could you take your mind off of Jesus and what he has done for you? This great salvation that he has attained for you. How did you take your mind off and, and now put it on yourself and put it on things of the earth? where now you're focusing on your works and these different things. How could you do such a thing? Well, it's really quite easy to focus our mind on the earth. It's really quite easy to focus our mind on the earthly things, on things of the flesh. Just look at that Peter. Matter of fact, go to Matthew 16. I want to show you this. Matthew 16. Verse 21. This is Jesus and this is Peter. Peter. And this encounter, remember Peter, Peter was just all out for Jesus, right? He just loved the Lord. He said he was the one he was willing to die for Jesus. Here we go. Matthew chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 21 to 23. Look what happens here in this, uh, this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. So Jesus says from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day, which is what we're celebrating. Right. We're celebrating the resurrection. So Jesus is talking about that. But look what happens at 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God, Peter, if you only knew what you were saying. Right. So begin to rebuke Jesus saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you, look, here's our part. You are setting what? Your mind, um, on, oh, I'm sorry. Get behind me. He says, you are a block for me. You are not, there we go, setting your mind on God's interests, but what? Man's interests. So tell him, you are not setting your mind on the things of God here, the things above, the, the holy things, but you are actually setting your mind on man's interests, man's of the, the flesh, things of the earth. See, it looked bad that Jesus was going to die and be nailed to a cross, but his death meant his resurrection for us. It meant this day of celebration. But Peter didn't have that understanding. He was thinking earthly. He was thinking of the world. But Jesus was thinking about the things of God, things that will bring God glory, things that will bring many sons to glory. He was thinking on the heavenly things. And so he's showing us here with Peter that our thoughts have to be on these heavenly things it because it's it's so easy to get on those earthly things right it's so easy to take our mind off of jesus and to put it on our stress and our problems it's so easy to take our mind off of christ and to put it on our on our bills and in our and our health issues and to all these things and to take it off of those heavenly things i think about my own life when i when i first became a christian how just on fire for Jesus I was. And I just think about um Josie and Melissa, just them, how they, uh, Melissa went and, and got all of these tabs for her Bible, and she's reading her Bible, and, she, and Josie and Melissa, they're practicing the bridge illustration with one another, and, they, and they're studying all the materials on their own, and, and it just made me think, man, I, I remember that first fire when you first encounter Christ, and you just so love him. I remember how I would... Get man, I didn't even understand the Bible, really, but I started a Bible study with my peers. Guys, 18 to 23, we were on the phone, and and I'm leading all of these guys through the book of Romans, and I never even read to the book of Romans myself, but I just love Jesus, and I wanted to study the scriptures, and so we're, we're going through, and, and I'm we would leave these Bible studies, and I would spend hours studying the scripture. My mind was on things above. My mind was on God and the heavenly things, but... Something changed where my mind went from the things above, the heavenly things, to to bills, to my mind went to I need money, to my mind went to career, where, where my mind went to goals and just general things of the earth. You see, it's very easy to do that. And see, these things that my mind went from, from the heavenly things to the earthly things, guess what? They are not inherently sinful things, right? Because we need money. We, we need jobs. We need those things. But guess what? When we take our mind off of the heavenly things and put them on the earthly things, that's when it becomes sinful. That's when it becomes wrong. And, and that's what Paul was describing here when he's talking to these Colossians. In, in the previous verses in, in chapter two when he's describing the the men who were teaching these man- made doctrines see when they were when they were going to believe those things they were taking their minds off of the heavenly things and they were now putting it on the man- made doctrine the Earthly things. Or when you look in chapter three and verses five through nine, you find Paul calling out all of the sinful earthly things that we shouldn't do. And so in those different things, when you begin to take your mind off of God, it is just so easy, that's the point I'm making, to put it on the things of the earth. And as I was mentioning, putting your mind on the things of the earth are not always inherently sinful things. But things such as getting obsessed with getting a husband or someone getting obsessed with getting a wife or someone being obsessed with having children or someone being obsessed with getting food and all these necessities, that is the same thing as taking your mind off of the heavenly things and putting it on earthly things that is why Jesus said in Matthew 6 33 seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you see all these things were the food the clothes the necessity items Jesus knew that a major contender for our affections for our mind will be the things of the earth and so he's telling the body you first focus on God you first focus on the kingdom of God you first focus on the heavenly things and all of these earthly things that you think you so need they will be taken care of, but you just keep your mind focused above. So we have to watch out for that. We can look at these Colossians and say, whoa, how do you do that? But as we know in our own lives, it's so easy to change the trajectory of our mind and bring it now from God to ourselves. So if we have been raised with Christ, that is where our mind should be. It should be on the heavenly things. As we see with Jesus' interaction with Peter, the heavenly things deal with things that bring God glory. Those are the heavenly things. Those are the things that he said our, our minds need to focus on. Things that come from God's character. Love, mercy, righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the things. Those are the heavenly things that we want to have our mind focused on. I like how Paul, matter of fact, describes it in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. If you want to go with me there, go there. I'm sorry, I'm way off here. And Philippians 4, verse 8, this is how Paul describes what we should be thinking on, where our minds should be focused. He says here, Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellent and if anything worthy of praise, look, dwell on these things. See, all of these things that Paul just mentioned, they find their origin, their essence in God, and they should be reviewed or looked at from a God centered lens. That is how we want to have our mind all on the heavenly things, all on the things that represent or speak to God that draws closer to God. That is where you want to have your mind. Why? Because you have been united with him and he has attained for you such a great salvation. So your mind should want to be where he is on things that are where he is, which is righteousness, holy peace, all of the things we see that he preaches to us throughout the gospel. Another way of uh, looking at where our mind should be would be in the, uh, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 26, 3. I'm just going to quote it for you so we'll for the sake of time. This is what the Old Testament prophet said about our mind and where it should be. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The mind. So the prophet is telling us that God keeps the person, the man, in perfect peace whose mind is focused on him, whose mind is set on things above. See, there's a benefit of having your mind focused on the heavenly things. It's peace. And Paul tells us in Romans 8, 5 and 6 that it's also peace and life. Let me read you these verses here. Romans 8, 5-6, look what Paul says. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things above God, their mind is on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh, the earthly things, guess what? It's death, but the mind set on the Spirit, the things above, the heavenly things, guess what? It's life and peace. So Paul is saying, set your mind on the spirit, the things above God things. The result of that is life and peace. Don't set your mind on the things of the earth. And that's where we, that's the trick, that, that is the, the struggle that we have because we, we always try to set our mind on other places and other things. But the scripture tells us, no, keep your mind focused on things above God things, heavenly things, because through it, we get life we get peace. It, it, it's like when we set our mind on the things above, it has this reciprocal effect of, of killing sin or or producing this kin or this sin-killing effect in our lives. See as you continue to set your mind on things above, you begin to push out things of sin, you begin to push out those joy stealers, those peace stealers as you're focusing on the things of God. That's why it it brings you peace. That's my brothers and sisters. That is where your mind has to be if you've been raised with christ if your union is now his union if his history is now your history your heart your affections your mind should be focused upward they should be focused on heavenly things through that god's peace comes in sin dies as we focus and live according to God's word. You wonder why you have no peace. You wonder why you have no, 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 no joy. Where's your mind set? Is it set on that show? Is it set, set on shopping? Is, is it set on something else that is not heavenly? Where is your mind when you're wondering, where's my peace? Where's your mind set on? Is, is it set in the scriptures? Is it set on the words that Jesus said or is it set on worldly stuff? Is it set on just food and clothing? Jesus said, I got you. You don't have to worry about food and clothing. Don't, don't use your brain space on food and clothing. Use that brain space for me. I got that over here. You're covered over here. You don't have to worry. Just, just focus on the kingdom of God. Focus on the heavenly things and, and you're going to be good. Just forget that stuff over here. I'm what you need. See? We, we, we put our mind on this earthly stuff and it messes us up. But if we could do as Paul was saying, set our affections, our mind on those heavenly things, things where Christ is, we're good. And what I've come to find in my own life, and I'm sure that some other believers, you can, um, you can attest to this. But when you set your mind on things above, and this in this case, I'm talking about God's word. When you set your mind on God's word, which is the heavenly things, right? Because God's word comes from God. Christ is the living word. So you put in your mind on the scriptures. That is the heavenly things is God's word. So when you when you put your mind in this case on God's word and you begin to live it out in truth, loving people, according to truth, showing compassion, according to truth, showing uh, uh, mercy, according to truth. There comes this joy and this peace from God that you get. And I want you to notice what I just said. I said, when you do those things, mercy, compassion, according to truth. Because there's a difference from loving a person and loving a person according to truth. There's a difference from having mercy on a person and having mercy on a person according to truth. There's a difference from having compassion on a person to having compassion on a person according to truth, the Word of God. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. Let's say there's a, a messed up person, a person with a messed up life. They have a broken life. And you want to go and show love to this person according to truth. So when you go to this person... And you see this person not just as a person, but you see yourself in your sin and how you were broken and how you had no life and how you were a slave and how Christ came in and showed you compassion. When you show love like that under truth, guess what? An ordinary action now turns into a God centered things above action that results in praise. Why? Because you are now looking at it through a God-centered lens. So that is the difference from showing compassion and love according to truth and just showing love. It's true based on the gospel. And as you do that, your mind is now focused on God and the heavenly things and that results in praise. That is just how you use basic little things of helping a person, knowing that God helped me when I was dead in my sins. See, everything can be seen through that lens of the gospel. I was hungry. Um, you see, a homeless person, and now you realize I was hungry. I was looking for something, but Jesus Christ came and gave me the bread of life. So now as I'm helping you, I'm seeing Jesus in it. See, every little action can be an action where you're taking earthly things and now making them or focusing them on the kingdom of God and heavenly things. That is how we focus our mind. That is what we must do if we're going to continue to fight this war. Because there's so much coming after us to get our mind and our attention off of God and onto things over here. But we have to set. Paul, matter of fact, says, keep setting. It's not just a one-time set. You keep attaining. You keep grabbing for you. You go after it. The heavenly things, setting your affections on things above. So as we look at this resurrection day, we realize that we have been united with Christ. He's done great things for us. He's transformed us from the inside out. Set your affections on where he is. Set your mind where he is. Put your heart there on those heavenly things, on the things of scripture. Scripture things that show forth his character, his goodness. That is how we live out this Christian life until he returns. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we so thank you for your grace upon us today. We thank you for resurrecting us. We have been resurrected with you, Jesus. We are alive because you are alive. And so we thank you for this opportunity, God, to stand here sharing your truth, being a witness for you in this world. God, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters, God, that their mind stays with a trajectory pointed towards heaven, pointed towards the heavenly things, focusing on you, focusing on where their help comes from. God, that they may cherish their salvation, their eternal inheritance of being with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth. God, may that have more value, more than any other thing here on this earth, Lord. May that have more value in our life, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we're praying that you bring us to deeper revelations and understanding of you, God, that our hearts may draw closer to you and, and want more of you and thirst after you like that deer that it pants for the water brook. So, Lord, we thank you for today. Bless your people, Jesus. Hallelujah to your name. Amen. 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 Amen.